scripture reading chosen for us this morning is from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Father, I ask for your help now as I try to unfold this text for us. And I pray that your spirit would come and would anoint me for this work and would give a spirit of hearing and understanding and submission to the truth. Guard me from error, I pray, and from pride and from imbalance or any unhelpful statement and grant that this would be a life-changing time for some lord as they hear this very simple and yet utterly profound word devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with thanksgiving make us a praying church more than we've ever been in the year 2000 because of the work that you work in these Two Sundays, last Sunday and today and on through the year. Speak to us now, Father, through your word, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. One thing I think is crystal clear from these uh, verses that Steve just read. And it's this. It is God's will for you to pray to him. It is God's will for you to pray to him. There may be things in your life where you struggle wondering, what's the will of God for my schooling? What's the will of God for my relationship? What's the will of God for my vocation? What's the will of God for my job? But here's a place where you don't need to ask any questions on that score. We know this is the will of God. The will of God for you and me is that we pray to God. So, before we get into what Devoted means or alert means or thanksgiving means or any of these other things about the time or the place or the quantity of praying. Let's just sit on this for a minute. Let's just dwell here and meditate and muse like we said last Sunday and remember the implications of this simple statement. God's will for you is that you pray to him. Now, if we're going to do that, if we're going to muse on this for a minute, we have to know the meaning of the word prayer or pray. Because it's going to be an empty thing if we don't have something to put in it. So here's my suggested definition. I'll give you a Piper definition, then I'll give you a historic, proven definition from the Christian church. Asking God for things. That's my definition. Prayer is asking God for things. Now, I know there are two problems with that definition. One is the word things, and one is the limitation to asking. But let me tell you why I'm saying it that way anyway, even though it's vulnerable. By thing, I just couldn't think of a better word than things. Asking him for things means not just, you know, pulpits, clothes, cars, whatever. I mean Anything, but even in English, the word anything has the word thing in it. 
anything that you need and you long for, ask Him for it. And that's prayer. That's what prayer is. Asking Him. And of course, the main thing you need is God. More of God seeing Him and trusting Him and loving Him and obeying Him. That's the main thing we need. But all that you need, all that you long for, tell Him. Go to Him. And that's prayer. Ask Him for things. And I know that others would say, yeah, but it includes confession of sin, and it includes thanksgiving, and it includes praise. Well, yes and no. Look, look how this verse says it. it. It says, be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving or in thanksgiving. As though prayer, something you do, and then you, you put thanksgiving with it. So I'm still inclined to think, yes, we should always be thanking God when we pray. And yes, we should always be humbled and confessing our sins when we pray. And yes, we should think, see things about God that make us praise when we pray. But the heart and essence of the word P-R-A-Y in English and prosukamai in Greek is ask for things. Ask for things. Petition. Plead. Long to God. So my definition stands for me. Now I'll compare it now and you can compare it. Ask God for things. That's praying. Now, there's a great historic word about prayer, and I'll, I'll tell you a story to get it on the table. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, you know, in the last century. No, you can't say that anymore. Two centuries ago. <laughs> 1800s. And about 150 years ago or so, he was doing an evangelistic uh, crusade, series of them, in Britain. And he went to Scotland. And they asked him to speak at a grade school one afternoon to hundreds of children. And Moody thought, now what shall I say to children? And, and he answered, well, I'll talk about prayer. That's basic. And, and he began with the rhetorical question to the, to the kids, what is prayer? And to his utter amazement, about 500 hands went up. And he was stunned. He you know what they were doing. And so he calls on one kid down here on the front row and says, okay, what, 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 is, what, what is prayer? And the kid stands up and says, prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the power of His Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. <laughs> and he sat down. And Moody was absolutely stunned. Of course, that's the answer to the 78th question of the Westminster Catechism. What is prayer? And he simply looked at the kid and said, be thankful, son, that you were born in Scotland. Meaning a place where they take catechism seriously. But notice, what's the essence of prayer in that definition? An offering up of our desires unto God. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Yes, by the power of the Spirit. Yes, with confession. And yes, with thanksgiving. But the essence of it. I think these divines at Westminster got it right. Prayer is at its essence the offering up of our desires. The heart is a desire factory. And when you direct that Vesuvius of longing that every one of you have, desire after desire after desire, longing after longing, when you direct it Godward, you pray. That's what prayer is. 
Now I want us to ponder that. I want us to linger over that. Muse, meditate on that for a few minutes before we take up these words in the text like devoted and alert. The first thing I thought when I mused on that fact, God's will for you is that you ask him for things, is that will is not a very good word for this, if I'm going to get it right. Will. Is that enough? Is will for you? I mean, take a text like Proverbs 15.8. The prayer of the upright is his delight. That's just his will. He's just will that it happen. He loves for it to happen. He delights in prayer. So much so that you read things like this. Isaiah 65, 24. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. He's on the edge of his chair. This The point is God loves prayer. He delights in prayer. So much so that he takes measures to see to it that he is continually badgered in prayer. Now I pondered whether to use the word badgered as to whether it's a reverent An appropriate word that God takes steps to see to it that he gets badgered. Here's where I got it. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord... Take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, if somebody gives you no rest, what do you call it? You call it badgering. You badger me. You badger me. Come, come, come. Ask, ask, ask. Nag, nag, nag. And God says, I love it. I delight in it. It is my glory to be asked over and over. I mean, what's the point of those stories about the widow? Not not, not going to the judge, you know. Come on, judge, vindicate me, vindicate me, vindicate me. Until he wears, she wears him out. Or what's the point of the friend at midnight? Knock, 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 knock. I'm in bed. Knock, 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 knock. The point of those stories is not that God is hard to get to, but that God loves the sound. Of knocking. God loves the cry of his people. God loves to be appealed to. He delights in prayer. He goes out of his way to see to it that watchmen are on the walls. Giving him no rest. Day and night. Until he works in the world to establish his purposes and his kingdom. Now I, I get great encouragement by this kind of musing. Thinking about the will of God for me is that I ask him for things. No, no, no. Will won't do it. It's delight. It's longing. It's passion. And that's the kind of God that I have. A God who delights in my praying. Who wants me to pray. As soon as he sees me heading toward my knees, he's moving toward me. With tremendous smile on his face and joy. Go ahead. Pour out your heart to me. I love the neediness of my people coming my way. 
So let's keep musing for a minute. If musing can turn up this much encouragement, I don't want to leave this and go away and say, oh, I don't get any encouragement to pray from the Bible. I'm going to stay here and muse some more and see if I can get some more encouragement. So I ask the question, okay, why does God delight in this so much? If God doesn't just will that we ask him for things, but delight in our asking him and take steps to see to it that he gets badgered by our asking. What's going on here? Why does he delight in this? What? Why is he so given to see that this happens and so happy when it does happen? And you might answer, and it would be a good answer. God is a God of love. God is love. First John 4. God is love. And what is love? Love is giving. Giving and giving. God is a giver. And therefore, would it be natural that he would have set things up in such a way that he would be the giver and the lover? And so the reason he delights in prayer so much is that it gives him an occasion to be a lover and a giver in ways that might not be the case. Otherwise, he's a lover. So why, why is he such a lover? Meditate on a little more. Muse a little deeper. Push it farther. What is it about God such that the Bible writers say God is love? God is giver by nature. God is overflower by nature. Answer, because God is infinitely resourceful. God is all sufficient. That is his glory. You would be God if you could meet everybody's need. You would be God if you were infinitely resourceful and had no bottom to the well of your life. You'd be God. But only God is infinitely, inexhaustibly resourceful and has an answer for every problem in your life. And therefore, at the root of this issue of his being a loving giver who sets up prayer and delights to hear it and answer it, is the godness of God. His very nature as God, the fullness and completeness and perfection and infiniteness of his being explodes that way. So that he designs the world in such a way that he remains the giver and we remain the receivers. You read this in texts like Romans 11, 35 to 36. Who has ever given a gift to him that he should repay him? Answer, nobody. For, here's the reason, from him and through him and to him are all things. And then he adds, to him be glory Forever. Now, you see the connection between he will be the giver. We will never give to him in such a way that he should repay us. He will be the giver. We will be the receiver. To him be the glory. The giver gets the glory. That's why prayer is loved so much by God. The giver gets the glory. It looks like askers are needy. And it looks like givers are self-sufficient. And when God sets up the world in such a way that he wants to be badgered continually by askers, and he has all the resources in the universe to fulfill those askings, what is going on here is a display of the glory of God. The giver gets the glory. Psalm 90, 
15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will glorify me. So it's a dynamic there. He tells them, badger me, call upon me, cry to me when you get into a battle and it's going bad for you, as it is for some of you right now, right? So call upon me, cry to me. I will move into that situation and I will work a wonder that will cause you to experience rescue and you will glorify me. So God gets the glory and we get the rescue. And at this point in my musing, it struck me to say something I've never said before. And a guy came up after the service and, and said, did you really want to say that? So here I am, have to pose the question, i got to decide, do I really want to say this in the second service? And I do. I want to say the meaning of the universe is prayer. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, here, here's, let me think it through with you. Because I really want you to leave this service feeling like prayer is a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. So here's my final effort before I take up one or two words in the text like devoted and alert. You were created for the glory of God according to Isaiah 43, 7. Bring my sons and daughters from afar, everyone whom I created for my glory. Which means now, I think, in what we've seen, that the universe was made with beings called humans at the center of the created universe, created in God's image, such that they would be needy and continually dependent upon God for all their needs and all their wants and all their satisfactions and thus continually express that in prayer so that God could respond in mercy and He be glorified as full and we be glorified as dependent. I think that's the point of the universe. I know some of you are probably modern, secular people who think maybe the point of the universe is big galactic events and supernovas and broad, endless expanses of uh, light years of energy and space and time. And I would really suggest there is another way to look at the universe, and it's this. What is the center of the created universe? My answer to that is you are. You're not the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. But you're the center of the created universe. God created the world. And on a planet called Earth, he created man, male and female, in his own image. No other being anywhere else does he do this. You're created. I don't even think the angels are central to God's purpose. They don't get redeemed. They don't have an occasion to glorify God and his son Christ through trusting him for redemption. They never fail. Humans are created in God's image. Now, 
How do they fulfill their central purpose in the universe? The central purpose is that they glorify God, according to Isaiah 43, 7. So the central purpose of the central being of the created universe does what? Answer, praise with faith. In the name of Jesus, to the Father, so that our neediness is highlighted and his all-sufficiency and fullness and glory and all-satisfying greatness is highlighted and we get the joy and he gets the honor. That's the point of the universe. I mean, tell me, walk up to me after this service if you know a higher purpose for the universe than that. And I will adjust. Prayer is the point of the universe. A people created in God's image, by nature, empty and needing fullness from God to be what they were designed to be, appointed to look to God and express this looking to God in I need you, I trust you, I love you. That's prayer. And God then moving in, filling up. And we get the joy. And as the giver, he gets the glory of being omni-resourceful. When God decided to create the world, he simply went public with his glory. He couldn't contain it any longer. There is something in divine fullness that wills to overflow for the enjoyment of creatures. And those creatures are designed to receive it by prayer and enjoy it forever. And in the receiving of it from God and the enjoying of God in it, he gets the glory. We get the satisfaction. And that's the meaning of the universe. That's what I believe. Prayer is big, really big. So many people think it's a little, little icing on the cake of Christianity, a little thing you do on the side, a little, you, you may do it or you may not do it. Real Christianity is something else. Now, having mused upon that sentence that it is the will of God for us to ask him for things, I come to these words in the text, uh, be devoted to prayer and be alert in it. So let's take a few minutes on those so we can get practical here for a minute and I'm making, maybe I can help you fall into a pattern of praying this year that would be better than last year. I'd sure like a better one and I suppose most of you would. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. What does devote yourselves to prayer mean? Well, pray often, pray regularly. Don't be uh, infrequent and don't be hit and miss and don't be haphazard. Be devoted to prayer. Don't fail to take steps to do it. Now, look at that second phrase. Keeping alert in it. That's where I get take steps. Take steps to do it. Because I think there are two things implied in keeping alert in it. One is in it. You should keep alert. So if you start to fall asleep, what are you going to do? Say, I can't pray. It's not in my personality. I'm not wired that way. I don't know how some people do it. Some people are spiritual giants. 
I can't pray. I last two minutes and I fall asleep. And then you're going to just cave and go, go to bed? Give me a break. Fight the fight of faith. So, what did Oswald J. Smith, pastor of People's Church of Toronto, um, he said when he became a Christian, what he discovered very early on was that he fell asleep as soon as he tried to pray. Get quiet before the Lord, open the Bible, start to close your eyes and pray. Phew, he was down. And so, he said, I will walk. I've never fallen asleep walking before, and so I will walk. And so, he paced his study, prayed. He did it all his life long. His song leader, Gordon Hamilton, traveled with him some and wrote in his biography called uh, Fire in His Bones. He said, I heard him morning after morning pacing back and forth in prayer. He must have walked miles. So, happens to me, happens to you. I have a teeny little cubicle in my study, kind of surrounded with bookcases and stuff where I go to pray. And uh, if I fall asleep, or start to, this is what I do. Now, I, I, you can, my, it's a very small cubicle. And so, I just do this. <laughs> and hold my Bible like this, and try to shake it off. And, and when it goes, then I may, I may kneel again or sit or stand or whatever, you know, works for that particular morning. But I, I'm not going to give up because my body says, sorry, I'm sleepy. I say, well, to hell with you. I'm going to pray. That's a paraphrase of, of uh, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> if I gave you the rest of it, it would be more embarrassing. Treat your body tough. What does Paul mean when he says, I pommel my body? I pommel my body. Have you ever pommeled your body? Have you ever gouged out an eye? Have you ever cut off a hand? Have you ever pommeled your body to do what God calls you to do? If you haven't, don't complain that the Bible is insufficient to meet your needs because it tells you to do these things. It says, keep alert in it. And if you keep alert in it, surely you could, should keep alert for it. Meaning, if you in it shouldn't fall asleep or be distracted, then you should also, outside of it, see to it that you take steps to get there so that you can fight in it. And so that's where I want to close with. Just some practical examples of what should you plan or think right now as you move into the year 2000 and say, all right, I hear you, it's a big deal, I'm not a very good prayer, but I could do better, and so help me take some practical steps to do better. Now, last Sunday, 1,500 of you maybe, I don't know, raised your hand and said, I'm going to plan some time to read the Bible. Well, look, just, I don't want any new burden on you, just take the same plan, all right? You've got now... Dozens, hundreds of you, I hope, have a plan for when you're going to read the Bible, where you're going to read the Bible, and how you're going to read the Bible. And I don't want to say, you've got to find a new place and a new way to pray. No, no, no. It's right there, same time, same station, with God, reading your Bible open in your lap or on a chair or whatever. Find a time, find a place. You've already found it, many of you. Now, weave prayer all through there. And here's a very practical suggestion if you say, oh, okay, what am I going to pray? My answer is pray in concentric circles. Out from your own soul. This is my pattern. I'm just commending it to you. There's a reason for it. I first pray for John Piper. Not because John Piper deserves to be prayed for first. He doesn't. But because if John Piper isn't alive, he can't pray for anybody else. 
If Jesus doesn't come to me and open my heart and cause me to see him and love him and trust him, what am I going to believe him for for you? You're in the third circle. No, you're in the fourth circle. So my circles go like this. Oh God, come. Awaken me. Incline my heart to your word. Satisfy me in the morning. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Satisfy me with yourself. Strengthen me in the inner man. Help me to pray as I ought to pray. Shape me so that when I go down to breakfast, I can be good for my family. Oh God, come work on me. Humble me. Do whatever you have to do to bring me into the likeness of Jesus. And put a smile on my face for my my kids who are so grumpy at the table. It doesn't help any to say, don't be grumpy. That solves no problems. Christians aren't grumpy. But what solves problems is a dad with a song in his heart. Excitement for the day. Gladness that he's got kids. Blessing on them. That doesn't come out of eight hours of sleep for me. <laughs> it comes out of prayer and wrestling. God, make me over for breakfast this morning. So I pray for me first. Then I go out to my, my children. Lord, Noel, Carson, Shelley, Millie, Benjamin, Abraham, Barnabas, Talitha, Dad, Levon, Noel's mom, her brothers and sisters, Beverly, Bob, Rochetta, Brandy. That's my circle next. And then comes elders and pastors. I name every one of you. Then comes the support staff and the apprentices. Name them all every day before the Lord. Then you come. The big church, the assembly, and the big general prayers just poured out over this church day by day. And then comes the Baptist General Conference and Bethel and the bigger issues in evangelicalism. And then come the nations and the missionaries. And then comes the culture and education and business and the newspaper and the, and the warfare of, of, of obscenities in our land and pro-life cause and racial issues and and of course that's almost infinite right nobody can pray all that so your heart is going to be a great sieve here and what God's doing in your heart can make all the difference and sometimes you'll linger with one family member for an hour and that's it nobody else gets prayed for that day or it might be some cause, some great cause. You're so concerned about this little boy. Should he go back to Cuba or not? Man, what a difficult issue. Maybe that would catch you up and fill you with prayer some morning. So concentric circles, just a suggestion to you that might help you not be stuck. Sometimes we come and we just get stuck. We don't know where to start. And I'm just saying start with your soul. And the last thing I want to say is this. Pray scripture. Pray scripture. If you now have some structure of moving out from your own soul to your family, to your church, to your neighborhoods, to the city, to your denomination, to evangelicalism, to Christianity, to the nations and and uh, uh, the church worldwide, global causes. If, if you have some structure like that, what are you going to ask God to do? You say, what do you ask for your kids? And here you've got to avoid ruts. You can't just get up and say, oh, God, bless my kids. Bless my kids, bless my kids. That's a real broken record. Bless my kids, bless my kids, bless my kids. It starts becoming unreal to you. It becomes vain repetitions to God. So what do you say day by day? I mean, I pray for my kids. I've been praying for my children every day, nonstop, never missing a day for 27 years. That's a lot of vain repetition. If you don't have fresh things to say 
And the answer is, you just pray the Bible that you're reading. So you take last week's sermon and this week's sermon, and you put them together, and as you flop your Bible open for whatever time you set aside for this year, that's what you pray. What you see in the Bible is God and the will of God, right? And what do you want for your kids or your friends or yourself or your family or your colleagues at work? What do you want for them except God and the will of God? God and the will of God. Give them God. So, oh God, open them to yourself. And then you take the specifics of God that you see in the text that day and the specifics of his will that you see in the text that day and you turn them into prayer and say, Lord, now do this. So I'll close here by just modeling that for you. By doing it for you as I, as I close. And my simple prayer for you, and my longing for you, my urging, is that you, uh, if you're not part of Bethlehem, that you take a burden for prayer back to your church. If you're part of Bethlehem, that we become a more prayer-filled church. Prayer-filled in the closet. Prayer-filled in families. You do pray and have devotions at breakfast then. And you do gather the family for devotions at night. And you do kneel down with Noel before you get into bed. You soak the family in prayer all day long. And you do come here a couple of three, four, five mornings or afternoons a week for prayer. There are little prayer clusters. You do pray in your small groups, don't you? You ought to be badgering God in your small groups like crazy. We ought to be praying in our worship services, the whole worship service. Right now you ought to be praying, whispering in your mind, Oh God, help John finish quickly or truly or whatever you think I should do. Be praying for me as I preach and I'm praying for you as I preach. Sometimes it works that way. Let's do it. Let's go to prayer. What I'm going to do here now is just uh, take the last two minutes and pray the Beatitudes over you. This is just one simple illustration. If you wonder, to get together, if somebody calls you on the phone and, and says, would you pray for me? I'm in real need. And you kind of panic inside and you wonder, whoa, what am I going to say? Don't think about an empty head. Just go. let your mind run back over the Bible verses you know by heart. Run back over the devotions for the morning. And the Lord will bring to your mind what you need. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are poor in spirit. And who mourn over our sins. A broken people. Yes, a meek people. Poor in spirit. Mourning over our condition and our inadequacies and meek toward one another. Not proud, not arrogant, not pushy, not demanding, not complaining, but meek. Strong and meek. And I pray, God, that we would be a church that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Oh, God, make us more hungry for your righteousness than we are for uh, the Vikings to win today or for food or for a new job or for a spouse or for a great successful career or whatever. Make us more hungry for you. Oh, God, do that in this church. And Lord, I beg of you that we would be a merciful people. Make us merciful. Oh, cutting each other slack, taking each other's words in the best possible way, going the extra mile with each other. When we have trouble in the parking lot, we can't get a place to park, and it's a big mess to call up the resources of grace and be merciful towards each other. And then, Lord, I pray for purity. Oh, God, there's so much lust and defilement and greed and compromise in the world. We want to be pure. And so we just confess our need to be pure and ask that you'd come with a purifying fire. And Lord, in all of that, make us peacemakers with each other who know how to reconcile quickly. 
remove obstacles to relationships of love. And finally, Father, I pray that if in the year 2000 it's your portion for us to be persecuted, that we would count it all joy and that we would remember that our reward in heaven is great. And so, Lord, make us praying people, Bible-saturated and prayer-saturated, inhaling word, exhaling prayer, inhaling word, exhaling prayer. This is the life of the human race as you designed it and the meaning of the created universe. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.